You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. Hello, Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers behind the scenes. And we're into a second movie of our hot and sticky July. Matt, what do we watch for a hot and sticky July? We got a sweaty, wet movie here uh, that just is dripping with summer heat. And that is 1987's The Running Man. In the year 2017, an innocent man accused of a crime has a choice. Hard time or prime time. Sensational. Perfect contestant. I want him. He must pay or play the running man. On your mark. I'll be back. Go! The highest rated TV show in history. Because they want us to stay. It's a game between life and death. Can you lift? Arnold Schwarzenegger is... The Running Man. He's playing for a prize. The prize is his life. How about the life? The Running Man. Oh yeah, and they're all wearing spandex. Yes, hot, hot spandex. <laughs> it's all sticking to you in all the crevices that no one ever sees. Because these this spandex suits that they're wearing hides nothing. <laughs> yeah, they are tight. They are against flesh. <laughs> oh, and Arnold is running around yelling. We got uh, Maria Conchito Alonso, who starts as you know a bad one, and then she kind of gets on Arnold's side. We have a 2017 totalitarian police state. We've got everything in this one. And we've got Mr. Family Feud himself, Richard fucking Dawson. Oh my gosh. Is there any <laughs> any role better made for him? This, yeah, tailor-made for him. Genius casting here. It really is, because I don't think he was an actor, right? He was just a TV personality slash game show host, right? I think he showed up in in uh, big, you know, the, those mo- those disaster movies that have 100 people in the cast type movies. I do think he showed up in a couple of those. But yeah, primarily, I mean, if you ask like what he's most famous for, it's like, yeah, Match Game and Family Feud, probably. Yeah, his mannerisms in this movie are perfect. It's It's almost like he's channeling someone he's met, like he met a tv person producer or whatever that doesn't care about anyone but the ratings and he was just channeling that person absolutely it does look like that it and it's and it's perfectly through that uh, richard dawson lens where it is it's coming through the delivery sounds like it could be on 
family feud yet he's talking about like murdering people so yeah i bet i bet he's experienced it before and then he put his own little spin on it yeah no kidding now the amount of things that this movie predicts is pretty cool uh there's a cell phone in here did you notice that Mm -hmm. did you notice that they had cards that they would scan and just pay for tickets yeah plane tickets that was pretty amazing and then going through the uh i don't know if we went through metal detectors in 1987 in airports uh, because I was five, but they did have them in this. And it kind of reminded me of the security a little bit of what we go through now after 9-11. Yeah, except they would not have let Arnold without without a pass like they did in this movie. <laughs> but everything else is like pretty accurate to today. Yeah. And then like economic collapse. But you know what? I'm The economic collapse and stuff like that. That's what everyone was predicting during the Cold War. That was just kind of a thing that they always stuck in in 80s films. The 80s version of the age old tale of, yeah, like greed takes us over and the government takes over and there's murder for sport. Entertain- you know, it's the Death Race 2000 mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know, we've seen this before, but this is obviously through a Stephen King sort of lens here because he's the writer of the novel that this is based on. Uh, actually, you're wrong. It's Richard Bachman. Uh, the producer also made that mistake, did not know <laughs> that that was Stephen King. <laughs> I don't know how many books he wrote under Richard Bachman. I've never looked it up, but he's not the first person who bought a Richard Bachman script, you know, novel rights and everything to be tricked. He's not the first one, but he is definitely the most public is yeah that's pretty hilarious uh and richard bachman is like the only name in the credits too so it doesn't even say like stephen king at all in in the movie itself yeah i noticed when because edgar wright is supposed to be doing a version of this that's supposed to come out in i don't know 2022 or 23 i can't remember you know because covid kind of changes when things will be released but i notice in all the headlines they front center it's like Edgar Wright is doing Stephen King's The Running Man. And I'm like, yeah, that's funny. Now they're like, make sure you put that in the title because that's how we're going to sell it. Exactly. Yeah, they didn't even they had Arnold for this one. They didn't need the Stephen King, you know, moniker to make money on this. They they put Schwarzenegger above the title and they were going to make their money. And if you're going to be one of those swarmy, stupid, like experts on film, I'm just like, well, one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations is The Running Man. And people are like, what? (laughs) But really, this is very loosely based off the novel because the novel, I guess the motivation was that his daughter was ill. And so he went to a game show to win the money to get her treatment for cancer, I think. That sounds very Stephen King-esque. So I believe that. I buy that. I don't read, so I don't know. But (laughs) I I can guess that 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 sounds very Stephen King-y. Yeah, I mean... I don't know what words do. I think they form sentences, but it's kind of bullshit. I only watch tape. Yeah. If it's not on a VHS, I don't know if it exists or not. (laughs) Oh, as I read my notes, um, (laughs) I do love how this movie was uh, like got sued by a French film. Uh, Now, this is someone who's been living in Chicago for almost 20 years about to do a French title. So prepare yourself. Pull up those trousers because this is going to be bad. Le pricks do dodge. Damn it. Le pricks do danger. Okay. Uh, they sued him and won. Uh, they sued um, uh, or TriStar and Taft Entertainment and won. 
Interesting. I I don't know that I don't know that movie. Well, Pricks Do Danger, you've never seen? <laughs> from nineteen eighty three? I do not know that one. Kinda interested now because I'm wondering if it ripped off the novel. You know, if the French film was more based off the novel or if our man who has been on this show multiple times now, Mr. S- Stephen E. D'Souza, since he wrote it, did he just look at that movie and then write his script? I Because I, I couldn't find anything on what was actually sued, you know, like what was the lawsuit? I don't know. That's the first I'm hearing of this lawsuit. It's kind of funny. They they sued and won. But what movie are we still talking about today? <laughs> you know, we're talking about Running Man. So who won in the end? <laughs> yeah, and two of the notes I noticed, like Wikipedia just says they, they sued for plagiarism and won. Uh, no big deal. But in another thing that I read, they, they made sure to let you know that it wasn't a settlement. They actually won the lawsuit. So they went to court. They fought it out. Maybe I'll see that movie someday, but like I said, who won in the end? Because we're here talking about Running Man, and I don't even know what that other movie is. So now, here, here's my prediction: you sit through ten minutes of it and go, "Shit, I don't want to read all this," and then leave. Yeah, it's all in French. Shit, I wish this had Arnold in it and <laughs> Richard Dawson in it. Okay, let's get ready to look at this VHS. All right, I'm gonna describe the front here. Uh, classic. Arnold movie of the 80s. It's got his face on it. I'm surprised they don't have his muscles, though, because this is a Vestron one from 1987. You know, it seems like what Predator, uh, Commando, Conan, they always want to show off his muscles on the front. This one just has his face in like monochromatic black and white. They, it's like maybe they just didn't think uh, they needed it. They were just like Arnold. Arnold sells the movie itself, put his face on it. Done. Money made. Well, it's surprising because this movie's so bright with all these different costumes and everything. I'm surprised you didn't get someone to paint up a poster. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just they wanted to slap this on a tape and get it out quickly because maybe they didn't have a lot of faith in this. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I definitely was influenced by this VHS cover. This is, you know, as we're talking about this for the for the podcast, this is the first time I've seen this movie. I've never seen this movie before. And I think partially that's because during my childhood Arnold phase and stuff like this, this this box art wasn't very interesting to me. And then also later, I thought it was kind of going to be like a much darker you know, not a fun movie like it like it actually is. I, I, I think this is kind of bad marketing on the on the tape front here because I missed this movie because I thought it was going to be something completely different. Yeah, it looks very grim. Uh, they're selling like this dystopian future. That's it is what this movie's about. But it's kind of like looking at it and, you know, like winking too at the same time, like it's dystopian. But aren't we having fun? Yeah, like I mentioned Death Race 2000 earlier, it definitely has that kind of vibe where it is like bummer, but tongue in cheek and like there's death in there. But like a lot of the times we're like kind of laughing at the people that are dying in it. So it is kind of the dark comedy and the humor and just that 80s fun quality totally lost with this cover and with the advertising of it. Yeah, I'm wondering if someone in marketing just thought the more serious raw deal Arnold would sell better. And maybe that was the case. I mean, these kind of movies that are dystopian and fucked up but funny those i mean no studio knows how to sell any of those ever so and you think they've learned that we like them because they keep making them and we keep talking about them but uh you you, they they don't know how to sell those movies especially in the 80s they didn't know how to sell this type of movie 
Yeah, I don't think we learned how to sell the movie like that until Total Recall in the early 90s. The 90s kind of just changed marketing for these. Uh, You could be loose and colorful and a little bit more kind of open about what you're selling. You didn't have to hide it so much. Maybe it was just harder to get opinions. So they just marketed what something had sold. You know, in the past, this type of movie sold better like this. So let's stick to that formula. I think that's what is like what's creating this boring cover. Yeah, it's like you mentioned Commando. I mean, the Commando cover is kind of just Arnold and his muscle and some guns or whatever on the cover, but it's not a very interesting cover either. Mm. And this is just kind of the punched in version of it because it's just his face. And it's like, hey, Arnold's in this. Give us your money. (laughs) All right, getting on. There's everything's in red. Well, most of the lettering is in red, which there is a lot of red in this film. So I give that at least they're reflecting the film a little bit on this cover. Uh, giant letters Schwarzenegger on top and then the running man at the bottom and we got uh, two little lines here a game nobody survives but Schwarzenegger has yet to play if there was a little bit of color on this it was something to attract my young mind when in the 80s and with that tagline I would have rented this in a second but I didn't watch the running man till the late 90s when I just saw it on television one day yeah, so you kind of had the same thing then, where it was just like, it's just not attractive to, you know, our brains that are looking for fun, crazy movies, you know, like, uh, so obviously it had the same effect on you. I didn't rent this on a Friday night, so to speak. Uh, it always got passed over for, you know, wrestling tapes, horror movies, or another Arnold movie, um, or video game. You know, we always had that, like, tiers that we'd look for, and this was too low, you know, on the tier, because... If Running Man was, you know, next to Predator, Predator's getting rented 100% of the time, every time. Yeah, and if I'm and if I'm renting like Arnold movies or whatever, yeah, I'm gonna go for Commando or Last Action Hero or something like that. Like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go for this either. Yeah, so let's turn this over to the back because this is a small novel that I'm gonna have to read. This is fun when they do this. Uh, By Richard some... Bachman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at the top, we've got some quotes here. Arnold is at his best. Fans start running from Joel Siegel, ABC TV. Good Morning America. We have another one. One of the most thrilling action-packed adventures of the year from Rex Reed at the movies. Well, we haven't had a Rex Reed quote in a while. Yeah, these are like Joel Siegel and Rex Reed. This is like the critics. These are the guys <laughs> at the time. Yeah. yeah, before Siskel and Ebert of the 90s and stuff, it was always these two guys. Yeah, must have been pretty well received if these guys are liking it. The best action movie of the year, don't miss it, Pat Collins. What is this? W-O-R-T-V New York? I don't know that one. kind of sounds familiar, though. Here, we've got three production stills here. Arnold's got a gun. One's Arnold is running. Thank God they put that in the back. Um, And then Arnold about to go in his little sled to start the Running Man game show. I don't know what you call that. It's like a bobsled, but like it has no It's like a caged bobsled or something. (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to figure that out. I mean, it's cool to watch. I mean, would be great for a game show, but when I looked at it... I was like, what the hell were the production people making? (laughs) (laughs) But it worked. So good job. Yeah, it looks cool. So production design, good job. Yeah, we got Arnold Schwarzenegger is running for his life in this high tech, futuristic action adventure, The Running Man, co-starring Maria Conchita Alonso, Moscow on the Hudson. I've never seen that, by the way. Me neither. Every movie she's in, I see that. You're like, oh, she's in this, guys. 
We've got Yafet Koto, one of, uh, you know, an Analog Jones uh, kind of like Hall of Famer right there from Alien. Yep. Uh, Dwizzle Zapple? Dweezel. That that's Dweezel. That's how you spell Dweezel. <laughs> that's his name, Dweezel Zappa. <laughs> Who is that? That's Frank Zappa's son. How did we get like from Frank to okay? Right. <laughs> it's Dweezel and Ahmed Zappa are the two kids. Okay, we've got uh, Mick Fleetwood, Jim Brown, Jesse the Body Ventura, and they are in this critically acclaimed performance. Family Feud host Richard Dawson. That doesn't okay. So it says and in a critically acclaimed performance, Family Feud host Richard Dawson. Okay, I see what they're doing there. Uh, the year is 2019. Television is now ruling people's lives in the 21st century. The most popular audience participation game show is The Running Man, where convicts can win pardons instead of parting gifts by defeating murderous henchmen known as stalkers. The stalkers haven't had much of a challenge lately, dot, 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 until Ben Richards, Schwarzenegger, all in caps, came along. Wrongly convicting of slaughtering 1,500 innocent people, Richards is the next contestant to fight for his life and his freedom. When Running Man host Damian Killen, Dawson, Killian, Dawson, uh, says, Come on down, be prepared to pay with your life, but Ben Richards isn't going down without a fight. Off Schwarzenegger goes into the burned out sections of Los Angeles to face four of Killian's ace stalkers. Sub-Zero wielding his razor sharp hockey sticks. Buzzsaw, the maniac motorcycle riding slasher. Domino practicing his deadly electronic shock treatment and fireball with his mighty flame throwing arsenal. Now the entire country is glued to the tube in this heart pounding sun death battle. I tell you what, the last paragraph right there, fun to read. Like I was like, okay, I'm into this. Yeah, I mean, they need more of that for the for the cover. Maybe slim that description down and uh, just give us that. And I'm interested. You give me characters that are named like Sub Zero and Buzzsaw. I'm like, okay, this could be something I'm into. This could be like a Mortal Kombat-y kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and something that this does, and a lot of '80s VHSs do this. They have to take people's names and make them all caps. So when you're like reading along and you have this really tight text, it gets tough switching between. Like, I get it. Maybe put Arnold Schwarzenegger in all caps the first time you see his name. But every time, stop it. Stop putting everyone's name in all caps. 80s was probably more of a time where stars sold movies, you know? So they had to put, they figured people would be looking at the back of the box to see who's in it. So that's probably why. But yeah, they did. They did stop doing that mercifully for the eyes uh, come come the 90s. I have another question about the back of this box. It says 2019. Doesn't the film say 2017? OK, so I had to look this up because I was confused, too. It starts off in it says in 2017, all this stuff happened. Gotcha. But the movie takes place in 2019. I don't know if that had something to do with the script being changed at one point we'll get into. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I totally get what you're saying where it says like in 2017 and then it gives you the kind of rundown. But yeah, they didn't really make it clear to like say like, OK, we're into it now. This is two years after that all started. Yeah, like they didn't really make that very clear. So I noticed that yesterday, too, when I was reading the description, I was like, 2019. They just said 2017. But that makes sense, I guess. In 2017... 
the shit started. <laughs> in 2017, shit went down. But our story is in 2019. Like, <laughs> okay, I, why didn't you just say in 2019? Our government had run into a dystopian police state. You know, like all that. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. This movie's fun. But before we pop this tape in, we just want to remind all the listeners that if you want to help this channel out a lot, go to iTunes, give us five stars, put a description, and I am going to announce, if you put a description, and I read it, I'm going to do all that stuff, but at the end of August, we're going to give someone, uh, we're going to pick one of these out, and we're going to give away some gifts. So, now you have incentive. Put in your review, screenshot it. Send it to analogjonestof at gmail.com, and you're going to win a prize. Okay? So, you've got a month and a half. Let's do this. Get us some ratings. We've been working really hard. I see the downloads. I know you guys like us. You're just a little shy. That's okay. Now you got an incentive. Review, review, review. You write one sentence. Five stars. I like this podcast. Done. Done. <laughs> Done. That's all you need to do. <laughs> and we're going to send you surprises, so... I mean, what's better than that? Listening to our stupid voices and winning prizes? Oh, my God. Don't say we never did nothing for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pop this tape in. Now available on video and DVD. So we've got a couple trailers, not many we can talk about. We've got actually two. Paramedics from 1988. You and I had never heard of this. Yeah, it was, I thought it was uh, the Fat Boys movie, which it later looked up Disorderlies was the one I was thinking of. Uh, but this is Paramedics with Christopher McDonald. Uh, I've never seen this, but this looks fun. Stupid uh, 80s sex comedy movie. I'll watch it. Second one we had was Midnight Crossing. I've never seen this. I'm kind of, I don't know. I don't know how interested I am in this. Yeah, I'm, I'm less interested in this one than the other one. This one does seem a little bit more dramatic, and I am I would definitely be more interested probably in the comedy than this one. Yeah, I, you, I'm with you. I remember you mentioning we were talking about it off air last week that you thought you had heard of this one, though. This one you've heard people talk about a little bit before. I think I'm just wrong. Um, I was thinking of another movie because when I saw the trailer, I looked at the poster of the movie. Go, oh, this is not what I thought it was. I think I'm thinking of the Robert De Niro film. Oh, Midnight Run. Which is also a movie I've heard a lot of good things about, and I still have not watched it. It's a good, it's a good one. I uh, That was a USA staple back in the 90s. Um, it's, a, it's a fun one. Yeah, I mean, I've just... Yeah, just never saw it, but I, I guess I got a lot of play on syndication. But anyway, back to the running man. Let's, let's get into this feature presentation. And now, our feature presentation. Here we go. Here's the card. We're totalitarian police state. Uh, the I guess in 2017, the economy like crashed, oil shortage, gas shortage, whatever it was. And within two years, it's a police state. Um, I guess it could happen that fast. Hell, I don't know. I already want to give this movie credit, though, for like 2017 and 1987. I was thinking that everything was going to be like absurdly futuristic. And this movie plays it smart where it's like, no, not that much would have changed by 2017. It does. Obviously, it's an 80s lens, but it does feel a little more accurate because it's not absurdly futuristic. Well, Stephen D'Souza, who... 
wrote this, Stephen E. D'Souza, which we've talked about multiple times. Uh, we reviewed his Judge Dredd. Uh, we reviewed Turbulence like last month, which I think he directed. I don't know if he wrote Turbulence, so I can't remember. I don't even remember. He's yeah. mis- Mr. Die Hard and Mr. Street Fighter, yeah. if you're... If you're nasty, but his yeah, his his Judge Dread, you know that future look, like it was more futuristic, but that that's because they had a bigger budget. But he likes to really ground his futurism. Yeah, and that was one thing I appreciated getting into this because I really did expect it. To, again, not having ever seen it or really anything from it, I was expecting it to be like over the top, you know, '80s version of the future with just like comical. You know, like a like a comic book Blade Runner or something like that. But no, this it it is a little bit of that where it is a little bit of stylistically quote unquote futuristic, but it it does have enough grounding in reality that uh, I I bought it. Yeah, so did I. Uh, it was just enough, like a lot of futuristic stuff that I mean, back in the past you look at now, a lot of it is just stuff that is more convenient for us. Problems sometimes when people from the like 70s or 80s or whatever, or I mean, think about Back to the Future, you know, when they like put us into the future. Now, that was more of a comedy. I get it. But they put all kinds of shit in there that none of it would be useful to us. Like, I I remember like when his dad was floating, he's like, I threw out my back. So I'm floating on this. Now, that's because an actor wasn't returning. But like future stuff like that, it's never going to. I mean, that looks stupid. Why the hell would I? I just wouldn't go to dinner. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, but these small little things that they put, but you know, like back to the future that like dehydrating the food and then the food comes out, everything's that's something you're like, Oh, that's convenient. You know, that's the kind of like futuristic look that I always like. It's because someone's paying attention to the details. Yeah. And like this movie, it, it, because it decided to go sort of more the grounded route, we do get stuff like you mentioned, like the cell phones and the chip credit card and things like that that are very they got right you know they de- they definitely predicted and let me tell you having lived through 2017 uh it felt like it could have went this way at any point <laughs> for those those years uh in 2017 uh just listen to some of our early episodes and listen to my panic in my voice <laughs> yeah and, and, then, and then we got covid now now that we're past kind of past COVID it's just like well it's not as bad as COVID like I feel like I'm more relaxed now than I ever have been before I'm definitely more relaxed now yeah 2021 than I was in 2017 you know like we had to kind of go through the shit and now I'm like okay at least it's not all that (laughs) yeah it's like well could be worse at least I can see my friends now yeah exactly yeah, but like, let me tell you, sometimes in 2017, 2018, 2019, you know, when this movie's set, it did feel like we could do a hard left turn into Running Man at any given point in time. <laughs> now, if this movie would have had an over the top president, I would have been I just would have gone down to my knees and been like, I'm not worthy. You are amazing. <laughs> yeah, this this movie figured it out. Yeah, but no, it does a good job of predicting kind of things and it doesn't overshoot like we were saying. So I, I respect it for that. Mm-hmm. Now, this movie went through three directors, maybe two, depending on how you look at it, because the first one that was hired wanted to change the script. This always amazes me about directors, by the way. A producer and a a studio comes to you, gives you a script and then goes, "Okay, go make the movie. Get ready for pre-production. And you completely change the script without telling them. And then when they find out they fire you, well, no shit. 
I can't figure out if that's stupid or if it's just like the most confident person in the world that they think they can get away with it. Yeah, I mean, like if you're brought in as a director and especially if they come to you, it's within your means or you know like within your job description you are allowed to change the script you are allowed to do your director's pass at the script in most cases as the script is like you know if it's a tarantino script or something they're not going to let you touch it but like if it's if you're being hired they're going to let you do it but to do it without telling them that's when yeah you're being overconfident or something because duh you're going to get fired you have you can't do it under the radar you're being hired it's within your means you can do it this is my every director is allowed to do their pass because you'd rather have a director make a few changes, give them some power, get them personally invested in it. Good. Most production studios allow that. Again, you know, there are a few that like this is the script you're making no matter what. But most are like, yeah, do your pass, become, you know, personally invested. That's always a good thing. But he apparently took out the entire game show and goes, it's going to be in a mall. What? <laughs> <laughs> like that's what i'm saying is like are you an idiot or are you just so confident in what you can do that you're like i'll get away with this and that guy would have been wrong because malls are becoming a thing of the past and now you know with game shows it still feels like it could be current so that would have been a big dumb oopsie if they if they went that way <laughs> yeah i was watching hack the movies on this which is something done by the the angry video game nerd and his his boys that like review this film and i do like their opinion on one part they said this movie is more taking place in the early 2000s when we were like obsessed with reality television and i give them credit that is true but their prediction of the future is better for today so it's kind of like a, a sweet mix like they seem to really understand that reality tv shows would take over and like people would just like 24-hour entertainment which we have but we also went more of like an internet route too. So like in the early 2000s, I think this movie's really predicting the reality television. Yeah, game shows, Survivor, things like that. You know, watching people be in danger. I mean, obviously we didn't have shows where people were dying, but you know, yeah, Survivor being sort of our 2000s example of it. Absolutely, this predicted that whole movement. Uh, but anyway, back to the directors. Then they they hired Andrew Davis, which, I mean, he's done a lot. But they hired him off of Code of Silence with Chuck Norris, which small budget, made a lot of money, you know, on the video circuit and everything like that. I don't know how much it made in theater, but they hired him. They're like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing with a small budget, but makes a movie look a little bit bigger. By the second week, he was he had spent over half the budget and he was over a week behind in the second week. So that means basically he had done nothing. He was still on the prison breakout scene and they're like, we had to fire him. And so what happened was, is Tim Zinneman, which this was his his project. This was his baby. You know, he's the one who bought this script. He got a studio. He brought in the director, the actors and all this. So like he panicked. So he went back to someone he knew could get this movie done. So then he hired Glazer, Paul Michael Glazer. Which was Starsky from Starsky and Hutch. He had worked with him previously on the TV show, maybe Miami Vice. Whatever he did, he like directed with him. I don't think it was actually Starsky and Hutch. It was something else. But he's just like, listen, every all the production is is done. All you have to do is please come in, make my movie, get it done, 
get it to the movie theater. And he did. Major props for being sort of the third director and not being like, I guess, like a flashy quote unquote director in in Starsky. I'm going to just call him Starsky as we go on. But bringing him on to do that, major props to him because this movie does have a very distinct vision and some really cool visuals and stuff that like bringing in a director with a visual sense can only give you this isn't just good production design it is great production design, but it isn't just that like props to the director for really bringing it in being in the being the third guy in line to make it he is bringing a pretty distinct vision into this and, it, and the movie looks great and has some really striking visuals yeah i give you that it, it does for a movie that doesn't have a ton of money it looks simultaneously like it's cheap but also distinctive like do you understand what i'm saying or Mm -hmm. am i making sense on this yeah it has that visual look like where i could easily see this as a tv movie but if it was a tv movie it'd be like one of the best tv movies i've ever seen but when you put it in theater it looks cheap but still looks unique exactly and that's what i that's what i'm giving him the props for like he really took it over the line and brought something to it that yeah it could have just been a low budget action movie with good production design and good lighting but like no he really took it over the edge and made it a visual thing yeah and this movie has three editors for a movie that has three editors i am shocked at how well it moves yeah it's very succinct and like in a hundred minute runtime for this is just wonderful i don't it never overstays its welcome and it, it does it just moves and not in a confusing way either like it moves and it moves well yeah, that must be why it played so much on syndication. I mean, the 100-minute runtime, you probably only had to cut out like nine minutes of fluff. Probably most of that would be violence. Then you stick it on WB or whatever, USA Network. And it probably ran a lot. Yeah, and I do remember, I do remember this being on TV a lot in the 90s, for sure. Again, still avoided it, though, because I thought it was something completely different. <laughs> uh, so let's... Let's actually start taking a look at these uh, scenes. Uh, So this whole movie is set up where Arnold is in a helicopter. He is ordered to kill a bunch of civilians, I guess, looking for food. And he refuses. Uh, So they had to change this on the script here because this is the third director. They're already way behind. Money has been spent. They decided to cut some stuff from this film. They cut his daughter completely. Uh, which was fine because they never they said that like they had a problem casting the daughter and then they found out that you know we got to cut all this so they're like fine slice this out the whole point of this was he was supposed to you know like he was supposed to look at a kid and apparently it's supposed to remind me of him of his own daughter and he's like i can't kill children i can't do this so there's a little bit more of motivation for this character not to kill the civilians in this movie it's just like no i'm not going to do it because i'm a decent human being both work yeah, I don't think you need the daughter storyline and everything to do it. I think I think just having him have like a conscience. And it's nice that we don't have to like set up that he has a conscience. You know, like most movies would take like another scene before this to show like, oh, he works for the man, but he's a good guy. Like this, you learn it through this action. And I think that yeah. is another thing that like works well for the pacing. You know, you're not spending like you don't have to have a scene where like it shows him being a good guy before this. 
He's in the air. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then we learn who the character is. It's smart and it keeps things moving. Yeah. And one thing I do like is, is Stephen E. D'Souza wasn't like complaining about He's like, oh, this is not the movie I wrote. No, he went in and he's just like, okay, well, let's cut this, this and this and let's trim this and let's concentrate more on like a WWF movie. They did. Because that's what they had built. So I do give him credit. Steven E. D'Souza has, you know, made some, wrote some good films, directed some, you know, he's all over the place. He's a working man. He's had good times and bad times. But he seems like a team player. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a reason he got so much work for so long, right? You know, like, so, and he obviously is talented. Say what you will about some of the movies, but like, he can deliver a product. You know what I mean? He's gonna, he's gonna give the studio what they're looking for. Yeah, he seems like someone that you'd want to bring in on the team. Absolutely. And it it just, just an old fashioned, like, workhorse kind of guy. And then we get to a prison scene where they escape and they introduce the neck bombs. What's important about these is, is like, he gets his two... I wouldn't call them friends, but colleagues that help him escape. And it's kind of sad that we didn't get more of Yafet Koto and his friend. By the way, the other guy, the computer genius that's with him, that is the pallbearer from Back to the Future 3. Okay, random. I just, <laughs> nice. Right when I saw him on screen, I go, I know that face, looked him up, and I'm like, oh my God, pallbearer. <laughs> you know, any other world, this, this actor would have probably been Shane Black at the time, you know, playing like that. He's very similar to that character in Predator that Shane Black plays. (laughs) Yeah, so they escape the prison. Um, You know, we get a lot of gunfire, a lot of fun stuff. But then it sets up the story of them splitting ways. Yafet Koto and his friend, they're going on the revolution to stop stop the man, stop big government and all this stuff. You know, a a right-wing media's wet dream. Hmm. We got to stop the man. Um, They just happen to be right in this movie. (laughs) Uh, so and he goes uh fuck that i just want to be on my own i'm gonna go see my brother we get introduced to amber who's now living in richard's brother's old apartment and she's like i don't know they told me that guy got kicked out because he did something bad or whatever so then he kidnaps amber takes her to the airport we get that hilarious scene where apparently if you just act like an idiot in front of security, they just let you through in the airport. <laughs> yeah, be like, oh, I can't find my pass. And he's like, just go. I'm yeah, like, just, that wouldn't happen today. <laughs> you should try that next time in front of them. And then watch them take you into a security room. I uh, yeah, shuffle through my pockets, reach in whoever's with me's bag, and just be like, hey, yeah, I can't find the... <laughs> I got yelled at one time for leaving a quarter in my pocket. What's in your pocket? A uh, quarter? <laughs> Go through again. Jesus Christ, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember getting yelled at for having a water bottle that I forgot I had on me, you know? So, yeah, they wouldn't let me through. Not a chance. <laughs> that wouldn't happen today. One time I got through with a pocket knife, and I swear to God, this really happened. Uh, I had no idea it was in this jacket that I never wore. I don't know why there was a pocket knife in there. It just was. But my jacket went through security, and I got onto a plane with a pocket knife, Sarah is my witness. Wow. You know, you just never know. <laughs> they must have thought it was a zipper or something. Yeah, probably if it was in your jacket. Yeah. Wow. You just never know. <laughs> and as soon as I landed, <laughs> I was like, I threw that pocket knife away. I go, fuck that. Ain't taking that chance again. Yeah, not coming back with it because I'm not going <laughs> to get so lucky probably. <laughs> Trying to speed through this because let's get to the fun part because... When we get introduced to Damien Killian, I mean, just listen to him announce Arnold's onset. What 
hours. They've got to go through all four game quads. Three hours or less, and they're going to need every second, because you know who's on their tail? Who? And you know what happens then? What? Right, without further ado, it's time to start running! Get set! Killian, I'll be back. Only in a rerun. Go! Awesome. And we get the I'll be back line. I did not know that this was a recurring thing for Arnold because my knowledge of it would be Terminator and maybe Last Action Hero, but it's like a reference to Terminator and Last Action Hero. So like, I didn't know that this was like a multi-movie catchphrase. And he says it a couple times in this movie too. Yeah, I think that this movie kind of understood what they were making. They, they clearly didn't market that properly, but they understood. They're like, you know, let's have a little fun with this. This doesn't have to be so stale. Why not? Because he's got a lot of one-liners in here. One of the ones I laughed at the most is a Sub-Zero one, and I'll play it for you here. Hey, Killian! Here is Sub-Zero! Now, Plane Zero! I personally tried to understand what Plane Zero meant, because I don't know. It took me a minute. It absolutely took me a minute. I was like, what's he talking about? (laughs) And then I was like, Oh, like a just plain zero. Like he went from sub zero to just plain zero. I get it now, but like it took me like a minute to register what the hell he was talking about when he first said it. Arnold's a little off in this movie, in my opinion, just like just a general thing. He he's not bad necessarily, but he's not Terminator 2 Arnold yet. He, or like you were mentioning before we started recording, he's not even really like Predator Arnold, which probably was filmed before this. But like, I don't know if it was because of the low budget and maybe they were just doing, you know, only a couple takes per thing. He's just slightly off in this, in my opinion. He didn't like this movie. He didn't like Glazer. He didn't like how this was cheaply made, that it was rushed. So he was not having a good time on set. He's been pretty vocal about this in the past, that Jesse the Body Ventura had to convince him, promote this movie to come to the opening and everything like this, because he's like, I I don't want to watch this movie. It's going to look bad. Now, he is softened on that in the future, because now he's just like, well, I understood Glazer was brought in, and he just had to do what he needed to do to get a film done, sent out to theaters. So... He softened a little bit, but man, he used to be very vocal about how much he hated this film. And that may be what's coming across. Maybe his just just disinterest in it mm-hmm. is, is you know, why he's maybe not giving it 100% or something like that. But yeah, there's you could tell something is off when you're watching it. Yeah, and he takes it out on Amber because I give this movie credit. The main protagonist sometimes is not likable. He's mean to her. Yeah, he's kind of thrown her around a lot at the beginning and stuff like that. And like, really just like, she's just somebody who ended up living. Can you imagine if, you know, so the person who lived in the apartment's previous big giant Arnold Schwarzenegger brother just came in and started throwing you around? Like, be like, what the fuck? Like, I just moved in here. Leave me alone. <laughs> Spending your money on plane tickets. Yeah. Uh, the Butcher of Bakerfield, which we didn't mention that. That's the nickname he got. 
And man, they market the hell out of that nickname before he gets on the TV show. Yeah, because they twist it and make it see. They edit the video and make it look like he did purposely bomb the the families and stuff that were trying to get food at the beginning. But no, he didn't really. They just edited it so to make him like this uber villain. Yeah, and there's another prediction of the future too. How they edit video and just like superimpose people's faces. Yeah, media manipulation absolutely is a, a big. 2017 thing or whatever that they got right yeah they nailed it on that one but when he gets in there and he starts facing all these bad guys he starts with sub-zero which is a hockey player that has a sharp blade and skates around and slices people up but they they don't decapitate him which i think is a missed opportunity but the one thing i love to point out is they do a good job of selling killian not knowing what to do because this seems like one of the very few or maybe the only time that a stalker has died and he gets all somber and he's like well back to commercial you know and then he cuts to commercial right away and i love that just awkwardness of like it almost seems like they never planned this and then he cuts to commercial and that reminds me so much of what live television does they get quiet they don't know what to say and they cut to commercial yeah it's uh i don't know it's a it's a moment yeah, like you said, that like totally was not expecting. He, Richard Dawson's character, Killian, seems like he's got everything worked out. And then Arnold shows up and then nothing starts working out. So like, the, yeah, you're watching him in a moment of being like, oh man, I had everything worked out from the start of this game to the end of this game. And now my whole plan is to shit. Yeah, and I, I do love how they like come back for the next day and they ask an audience member to pick their stalker. Uh, I found this fascinating that like people would call them out and then they cut to like an underground betting, which is something that happened in Survivor, the TV show that's been running forever that like it's becoming a big, it's been like a big betting, like Vegas takes bets on who will actually survive in Survivor. And I, I just found that fascinating. Yeah, it also feels like, you know, a movie that kind of came later. And I'm not referring necessarily to the books of it, but like the, the Hunger Games kind of feels like that, too, where, the, you you know, you're rooting for your picks or whatever mm-hmm. in the in these dystopian games. Yeah. And then the next fight they come on, we get Buzzsaw and uh, Domino and Buzzsaw is, is fine. You know, he's like wielding the chainsaw and everything like that. Uh, but man, Domino is awesome it is goofy ass light bright outfit (laughs) who's a real opera singer by the way nice so all that singing is done by him yeah the light bright suit (laughs) i love it i mean sadly that this actor died just a little bit after this film came out so that sucks but i mean his suit is going to live on forever Yes, unless you need to change the batteries. <laughs> oh, yeah. And stay away from water. And yeah, definitely don't get it wet. <laughs> but uh, Arnold has his best like threat speech after he kills Buzzsaw, but for some reason decides not to kill Domino and let him go because he's better than Killian. Uh, I'm going to punch through your stomach and break your spine. I fucking love that line. You're cold blood bastard. I'll tell you what I think of it. I live to see you eat that contract. But I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine! Ah! <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter that he lets Domino go because Maria Cachita Alonso gets him with the water in the end, mm-hmm. so <laughs> he's off. Yeah, don't worry, folks. 
Domino gets what he deserves. Uh, and then we have Fireball, played by Jim Brown. I was a little disappointed in this character because he is boring and kind of just goes away without much of a fight. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when I saw Jim Brown in the movie that, like, yeah, that was all they kind of used him for. He was in it pretty quick. I'm wondering if this is part of the cuts of, like, well, I mean, I know we have Jim Brown, but we don't have time. We've already... They, they spent a lot of time on Buzzsaw and Domino and Sub-Zero. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it's because the those two come out together. So it's sort of like the first one and then the second one. And then, yeah, he's the the third one to come out. So they just kind of not rush through it, but like we're ready to move on to kind of the next section by the time he shows up. Yeah. So, I mean, they kill Yafet Koto and Jim Brown quickly. So they're racist. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, not racist, but you know what I mean? They're just kind of... Uh... Those characters were kind of disposable. <laughs> Those characters are kind of disposable. I mean, so. you could say that maybe Buzzsaw was disposable, too. I wouldn't have mind if it just would have been Sub-Zero, Domino, with... See, this is what blows my mind. How is Sub-Zero and Fireball not, like, teaming together? Yeah, right? That that makes more sense, right? Like, what if you had an entire, like, American Gladiator studio and half of it was ice and then half of it was, like, heat... And you go back and forth between these two elements. I, I think that could have been cool. They could have played on that. But no, they decided to put Domino and Buzzsaw together, which eh, I guess you could say Chainsaw and like ice sculptures. But that's not what they're going for here. They just, you know, they're rushing. Maybe they didn't have time to think about it. Uh, but honestly, all of them get overshadowed by one man. And his name is Captain Freedom. Here's his exercise video. Are you ready for pain? Are you ready for suffering? If the answer is yes, then you're ready for Captain Freedom's workout. Yes, it's America's yeah. own Captain Freedom. That's the ticket. No pain, no gain. Holy shit, Jesse Ventura is perfect. Yeah, I mean, when we get like the Jesse Ventura exercise video and his like little talking to the camera moments, and even when we see like the climb the rope for money advertisement or whatever, it feels very RoboCop with the. It does, yeah. Yeah, cuts up cutaways, same year, and cutaways to all the different, you know, fucked up things that are happening. Very Paul Verhoeven, where everything has got this funny, ton in cheek, like look at media but at the same time very sharp yeah and very dark very like yeah damning you know it's like a sharp dark tongue explaining yep. to you the badness that can come from using the media the wrong way yeah which i'm sure came from a little bit of you know mr richard bachman uh's novel i assume i haven't read it i'm assuming you know stephen king had some pretty uh fun things to say in that novel yeah i'm sure there was some media takedowns because Stephen King is Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. What they do is they set it up where they make a fake video. Captain Freedom kills Arnold, and it's really a stuntman. He actually kills the stuntman, which is funny. Um, and they point out, you didn't have to do that. But uh, you wanted it real, didn't you? <laughs> good, good point. So then Arnold basically, because he got away, right? Is that why they made the fake video? Yeah. 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 So he ran away with like the revolution. And before they stormed the castle, Maria Conchita Alonso gets caught stealing video that proves Arnold is, you know, didn't actually he wasn't the butcher of Bakerfield. He actually was the good guy. 
Um, which is funny because they have a great line where Arnold's like, wait a minute. And by the way, that looked like a USB drive, right? It did. Holy it did shit. It like a USB. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she apparently gets away and shoves a USB drive up, you know what, which other hole, whichever hole you think. Maybe she stuck in a balloon and swallowed it, but I doubt she had a balloon on her. But she gets put into the game, and then at the end of the day when the revolution comes, she has the video that proves Arnold is innocent. Yeah, they play the video, and then, of course, then the audience turns on Killian, and then Arnold's got a, you know, he's got a few one-liners, and he sends him in the thing and gets his, hits the spot. Really oh. eye-rolling one-liner. <laughs> uh, I do love how they show that they're all a bunch of liars, because apparently through this thing, they said that two, only two runners have survived in this show. And those two are now living in paradise because they've paid for their homes. And basically the rest of their life is a vacation. But it exposes them at the end that they're just dead. Uh, but one thing I do love about this, and I love when movies do this. It makes cracks me up every time. They show the video that proves Arnold is innocent. But they actually, sh- instead of like showing an actual video camera, like security camera on the helicopter which they should have done they show what we see as an audience and i'm like wow those security cameras have really good production value (laughs) yeah it's it's basically the movie we are watching yeah it's like with the director's edits and stuff like that like it's not it's not footage found it's the movie (laughs) it's so much more impactful if you take a couple hours set up one shitty security camera on an angle have them like tossle around fight for a little bit and just stick that in like that's so impactful but you know i'll let it slide it's 1987 they were on a budget and <laughs> and it's, it's a, movie, st- it's a yeah, movie you see it in every movie <laughs> it's a suspension of disbelief thing <laughs> it works really well if you just like it's cheaper too yeah i mean you just basically like you said set up one camera they don't really have to do much and then have the uh, the audio from yeah. from the movie play over <laughs> it. <laughs> Nowadays, you just record the audio on your cell phone and be like, oh, stick that in the movie. But it doesn't Done. sound good. That's the point. It's, it shouldn't <laughs> sound good. Uh, but yeah, whatever. This movie has a great 80s ending when they shoot Killian down the like bobsled. And he fires through. For some reason, he's going faster than any of the runners ever did and explodes through a billboard. I don't know why it explodes and I don't care. It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I'm not questioning why it's exploding. (laughs) I'm cheering because it is. Yes, exactly. It's like in a movie where the stuntman, like one of the cars hits another car. And for some reason, boom, (laughs) I don't care. We know in reality that's how not how cars are built. When we hit each other, we don't explode because we want to live. But like the movies have taught us, boom, boom goes the dynamite. Yeah, my my years of training watching Michael Bay movies has taught me if anything touches anything, it will explode. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has dynamite in it. And and then another thing that's very like of this time eighties uh, that I that I actually I appreciate. Uh, you know, Arnold gets the girl, they kiss, everybody celebrating the streets. Credits. We don't need to fuck around with anything else. The movie is done. Just like this review, let's move on to the museum. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. 
So do you. This is a part of the show where we go out in the film jungle and bring something back. Oh, man. We're like Indy, bringing something back. But I tell you, this is going to be tough. I'm going to let you go first because you know what you want. There's so much I really like about this movie. Just in general, I really like this movie. It's very entertaining, very fun. Just a nice 80s cheesy action visual feast. I really liked it. But I mean, the thing that got me, took me over the edge, that I just adored so much in this movie was Richard Dawson. What a performance. Oh, my God. Perfect casting. And just even if it's stunt casting, it's genius stunt casting to have him be the game show host of this. He looks like he was he's been waiting his whole life for this role. And he is chewing scenery and dialogue like it's nothing. I think he's just absolutely incredible in this. Richard Dawson steals the movie for me. I could agree with you, but I'll just let Ebert do it for me. Play clip now. There is one element of this film that is excellent, and that is the entire backstage detail of the game show is hosted by Richard Dawson. Oh, I and his performance is fascinating. He seems about half-crocked all the time, <laughs> always smoking that king-size cigarette, talking about his ratings. Uh, he's playing with human lives, and all he really cares about is the adulation of those faceless masses who right. cheer him on. Right. And I think that that performance, if you took it out of the movie and just looked at it individually, is mm -hmm. as interesting in its way as an indictment of television as network was. Well, I think that he is good in the film, very well cast. Mm -hmm. He always had that sort of sinister side to yeah. him. Even uh -huh. when he kissed uh -huh. the ladies, we yeah. knew that uh -huh. he was sort of a little bit strange, or at least he knew he was being very manipulative. Yeah. And so he is well cast, but the film does not work. The The role was made for him. Like, I, I mean, all these years that he was doing the family feud and whatever, it was actually just for The Running Man. Truly. And I mean, yeah, if you followed it, it's so much more satisfying, too, if you've seen him in the game shows and stuff like that, seen him over the years. And then this is kind of the payoff. Yeah, it, it's I, like I said, this whoever thought of that for the casting genius. Yeah, I had a tough time because I couldn't figure out if I wanted to put in Captain Freedom or Domino. And I think what I'm going to put in is Domino singing just because he's wearing that light, bright suit. He's on a ridiculous stalker. He is fat, overweight, and probably would be one of the most useless ones if he didn't have electricity. But they went with it. And not only did they make him fat, overweight, you know, and have the electricity, they made him an opera singer. And I don't even know why. And I don't care. It's entertaining. Exactly. Yeah. Props. Props for those decisions. Yeah. That, yeah those over the top decisions. But that that's what makes it stand out in the movie. So. Yes, props to them for that. Uh, a close second is Captain Freedom. I mean, that is close. But I've enjoyed Jesse Ventura so much on wrestling and watching the documentaries and just remembering his voice back in the day and even farther back when he wrestled. You know what? I'm going to give this one to Erlen Van Lith, who is the actor that played Domino. Nailed it. Yeah, Jesse's Jesse's got his chance to be in the in the uh, museum at some point here. <laughs> yeah, if we do Predator, that sexual Tyrannosaurus, he's getting in. <laughs> I'm sure we'll do all the Predators eventually. We've only well, we have done two, haven't we? Done Predator two and Predator, yeah, from the the latest one. Maybe we should finish that franchise at one time. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. I think I think the first one would get a shit ton of downloads. <laughs> yeah, it's just tough, though, like when you're like, well, 
we're uh, we're basically doing Terminator Two because this is fucking amazing. <laughs> Everything's good about it. There's nothing bad about it, and yeah. it is another movie of Arnold's movies, like fifteen or sixteen of them. He played the security guard in this movie. I just forgot his name. Um, it's like Sven Ol Thorson. Uh, oh, I know, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I. I it's don't definitely Thorson. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember Sven, his name. Is it Sven Thorson? I think it's Sven Thorson. I think. I think. Because I know it sounds very familiar to me. I should know it better. But when he was in Gladiator, when he was the big guy fighting uh, and he had that cool like teardrop like mask on in the theater, I went Thorson because I <laughs> read that he was in it. No one got that. No one got that. <laughs> People were not of the 80s, uh, 80s B-movie fans in the crowd uh, for Gladiator that night. <laughs> I don't think people were like, you know, they didn't appreciate the nerdiness then. If I do that now, if if Gladiator came out now and I yelled Thorson, there would be another couple of nerds that have been like, fuck yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. How things have changed. <laughs> Back in the early 2000s, people were like, shut up, you stupid teenager. I'm yeah. in my 20s. <laughs> Fucking nerd. <laughs> uh, okay, so we reviewed a fun movie. Let's turn to a not-so-fun movie in both of our opinions, which is great when we actually get one that we don't like. This does not happen often, honestly. But both of us watched Tomorrow War. Future War future sport whatever the fuck it's called we are fighting a war 30 years in the future our enemy is not human Yeah, tomorrow war just like it 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 just worked out. Like I was gonna go to the movies the other day, and like I was whatever I was doing before made it late, and then I was like, well, I can't make it to the showtime, and I was like, well, what's new out? And then I was looking, and you know, I hadn't I hadn't watched a bunch of like the new stuff that just came out. We're recording this in like mid July, so like I didn't see Fear Street yet. I hadn't seen. HBO had one too. I hadn't seen Black Widow yet on Disney, but like this was on Amazon, and I was like, "Well, I'll watch this. It's kind of a popcorn movie. I'll, I'll it'll it it'll take the place of what I would have seen in theaters or whatever." And yeah, what a just a just a flat, flat, long movie. <laughs> yeah, not only is it flat, it's like the plot. They are laying so much on it and so much of it. I'm constantly questioning now. It's, you know, fine to let go, you know, with a popcorn movie. And, you know, like when you look at something like Independence Day, let's not think of all the problems. It's fun. It's not flat. It's entertaining. You're on the edge of your seat. It has Will Smith, the greatest actor of all time. Okay, we get it. Independence Day is one of Steve's favorites. Listen to our review on it. Anyway, let's pivot to this one that's flat it's constantly hitting us with plot but the problem is i'm questioning it and it's not fun see like i like chris pratt we we've both talked about how guardians of the galaxy is awesome and he's so damn likable he is not this director writer team took chris pratt and made him boring 
Shame everyone, on you. Everyone in this movie is so boring. Like I just like the characters are so flat. And like, yeah, I, I like Chris Pratt, I think. I don't think he's like one of my favorites or anything, but I do really like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and I think there's a certain level of charm he has. He does have a leading man thing. I get it. I'm fine with Chris Pratt. Uh, but yeah, oh my God, he's just, he's the most boring lead character ever, surrounded by, um, you know, in a movie where sort of your secondary character should come run away with the movie then, boring secondary characters too. Yeah, like, you can sit there and see a few of the characters. Like, I was interested in this Jasmine Matthews who played Lieutenant Hart, okay? There's, like, a spark of interest. Same thing with Sam Richardson who played the Charlie character. Or Edwin Hodge who played Dorian. Like, there's, like, this sliver of interest. But the movie sucks the energy out of the room so often that I just don't care. And the comedian in it who's his friend... Um, Sam Richardson, which I mentioned, Charlie, I really like him too, but they just, he was gone for the movie for like an hour and then he comes back for the end. And same thing with JK Simmons, which also shame on you. How can you not put that man on film? He's gotten jacked. He's been pumping the iron for you. And then he's just gone. Yeah. Like the Sam Richardson thing. It's like, like they do the most boring version of sarcastic nerdy sidekick you know and it seems so forced and it never was fun i never like usually those characters are the ones that kind of carry you through because they're you know goofy and silly this guy's just like it's just so it's trying too hard and then yeah jk simmons is in it for basically three scenes in the whole movie and yeah he's in like the the, the big finale the last 20 minutes or whatever which i will say was the best part of the movie not a high bar though to clear. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, they use uh, the 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 trimmer's end, you know, shoot yeah. it off a cliff. I yeah. mean, if you're gonna steal, steal from a classic. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, it's in like the the end is kind of the most interesting part, but like, yeah, it's not original or doesn't do anything new. It doesn't do anything like mind blowing. Um, but yeah, like way to waste J.K. Simmons, who's you know always going to give you a good performance, and yeah. There's just nothing there even behind behind him. And it's just a yeah. shame. Uh, and the time, the time travel logic, I'm not even going to explain it. I just don't like it. Done. I mean, that, that is my... I'm not going to explain this shit. It's, I think it's stupid. That's all yeah, I to, have to say. To kind of base a whole movie around it. Yeah, it's like... I don't know. Yeah, it is. It, it's, a, it's a gimmick that I just don't think works at all. Yeah, and like... The movie is 138 minutes long, so it's over two hours long. You <sighs> feel it. And, like, if you're doing this big-budget popcorn movie, why is it that long, and how is that not filled with the good stuff? It feels like sort of like the quote-unquote good stuff in this movie is rushed over. And I'm like, okay, well, you've got 138 minutes, and you're rushing through the stuff I'm actually interested in seeing. And then it slows to a grind with just, like, the explanations of things and characters interacting that you don't give a shit about. Like, and it's just like, it's focusing its attention on all the wrong things to fill that runtime. I know the fucking, like when they're like, Oh, let's come up with the poison that will kill them. I don't need to see 20 minutes in a lab of them getting it wrong. (laughs) I don't care. I understand you're trying to build a relationship with a father and a daughter, but Holy shit. Not like this. 
And, and it's, you know, it's yeah. so schmaltzy, too, with the daughter <sighs> thing. It's so forced and fake. Like, I, I just couldn't help but like, roll my eyes through it. Well, yeah, and talk about taking a good actress that is his wife, um, <sighs> Betty, I forget her name, Betty... Gilpin? Oh, Betty Gilpin. Yeah, yeah, Betty Gilpin from Glow. Yeah. Yeah. You take an actress like that and you give her like, what, 10 minutes? And it's just she, like, I have children. I yeah, love she, you. She just has to be the devoted wife. And it's like, no, you have Betty fucking Gilpin here. Have her be. She should be there in the war with some guns blowing shit up with good one liners because yeah. she's a badass. What and if yeah, one point you got tied down and because of your stupid time travel logic, she had to travel and save you? At least you would have got her in this movie because when I saw her, I'm like, awesome. She's in this. No, she's not. Yeah, nothing to do. Nothing to do at all. And by the, the way, Sarah even got like energetically in this by like just saying, what is wrong with this? And I'm like, babe, I, I'm, I'm right here next to you. I don't know what we're watching. I mean, I do. I just don't like it. I just don't know how it went so wrong. This does seem like a big budget Hollywood popcorn would be in theaters if it were a normal time kind of movie, but none of it clicks. And I'm wondering if the sale to Amazon happened because the studio knew it wasn't clicking. (laughs) But it had so many downloads, so many watches. It was the most popular movie for two weeks, which is a big deal in the streaming market. They've already put through a sequel. It's happening. We're going to see it in like 2024. Which I think is incredible because you think Chris Pratt would be like really busy, but I guess Amazon's got some fucking money. I mean, I know they do, but like he's he's they're signing on. Apparently, J.K. Simmons and Chris Pratt are coming back and, and I'm sure more. Yeah, I, I don't know. The story seems complete as well, so I don't know what the point is going to be too like how they're going to open this back up and whatever logic they come up with to open it back up is just going to render the first movie useless anyway so i'm like why are they doing this by the way people if you want to take like six hours and watch three other much better movies that this movie is combining go watch aliens go watch uh you know um live let die what was the original title edge of tomorrow edge of tomorrow but what was the original one was it like die repeat live die repeat well that's the dvd yeah or whatever go watch that you know go watch a few other movies that this movie is i'm not gonna say ripping off but they're definitely heavily influenced by it aliens edge of tomorrow what's another one i'm sure we could think of well tremors oh um, yeah tremors but that was only like the end i mean the aliens like in like pods and everything is like straight up alien resurrection yeah, and I'll give the, I'll I'll give them credit. The aliens look, the design is pretty cool. It's not super original or anything, but like they're pleasing, I guess, to the eyes for uh, creatures. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a <laughs> modern, it's a 2021 alien movie. Everything CGI, everything CGI. I know, so I can't give too... like the creature design too much credit here. <laughs> and there was someone at my work, by the way, who's in his early 20s, and he talked about how it looks like a video game. And I'm like, well, all of these movies with CG, you know, only a few studios can pull this off with everything. And he goes, well, why can't they make it look like aliens? And I wanted to reach across my computer and kiss him. <laughs> I'm like, but 
there are a lot of younger people that I work with that say all the time, older movies look better. And I'm like, because it's practical. But then at the same time, they also say they're silly. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. They want the the effects and the filming techniques of the old days, but with the storytelling of today, probably. You know, that's that's probably what they're looking for. But yeah, it, it is. It does feel like a video game. You have I, I thought one of the scenes that kind of was going to maybe be the more a more interesting scene was the reveal of the creatures. It's like set in like a staircase or whatever. And they were building some good tension for it. And then it turns into, you know, a call of duty you know like point duck shoot movie and i'm like ah, you you took away all the tension from what could have been like a good sci-fi horror scene and you turned it into an xbox game yep i got it the three movies you should watch instead of watching this movie is aliens edge of tomorrow and starship troopers Oh, yeah, that was another thing. This movie feels like Starship Troopers, but with all the fun stuff and the satire and stuff taken out. All the good the good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Just don't watch this movie. You will. <laughs> uh, because you, oh, you already have, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently everyone has. But, I mean, I do give props to Amazon. They launched it on a long weekend, and it was perfect. Because most of the country was getting rain. I mean, I know Chicago was, wasn't wait. Oh, what was that last weekend? I get my wicked with a kid. Everything blends together. <laughs> Every day is the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it, it was smart. It was smart to release it over the 4th of July weekend. That that's probably why so many things came out like the, uh, well, uh, not black widow, but like fear street was on Netflix. And I think there was some, there was another big release that weekend too. It was smart to put all those things up on the streamers, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate that this was kind of the one that took off. You'll never be independence day. That's my 4th of July movie for life. And I watched it again this 4th of July. Sarah looks at me. She goes, I feel like we watch this every 4th of July. And I go, are you kidding me? Do you want a divorce? Do you even know me? <laughs> it's, it's, Will it's Smith, in the title baby. it's in the title <laughs> it, it's the fourth of july movie and to her credit she watched most of it most of it i mean with a kid you know feeding off her boob she's still in there <laughs> watching will smith with me good wife it's awesome yeah yeah <laughs> then she took off me she's like i know how this ends and i'm like we all know how this ends. <laughs> will smith always wins yeah will smith wins welcome to earth <laughs> all right so that'll end it this week thanks for listening we'll be back with another hot and sweaty movie this is one of matt's personal favorites coming up yeah, I wouldn't say favorite favorites, but there I have I just it, it reminds me of my youth and one of you know, one of the first movies I just like remember seeing, period. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe kind of one of the movies that kinda of helped me fall in love with movies. So I'm excited to talk about it. I'm never gonna say that it's a uh an undiscovered classic or anything like that, but I have a connection to it and I and I, I it makes me smile. It's like a small favorite. Yeah, it's a it's a personal favorite. Yeah. You know, I'm more maybe more in love with the situation in which I saw it and at the time I saw it than the movie itself. But I do really like the movie as well. So I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited to make you guys listen uh, to to our thoughts on it because uh, it doesn't get talked about enough. And then, like I said, I'm never gonna make the thing that it's a make the case that it's an undiscovered classic. But 
I do think it's worth talking about. So I am excited to dig into it next week. Yep. And it's definitely one of those movies that a lot of people might be like surprised that we're reviewing, but we are. <laughs> Good. Keep All them right. on their toes. <laughs> exactly. So remember to be kind. And rewind.